When the Roses Bloom Again by Lee McCusker Read by Sam Gabriel Based on the works of J.K. Rowling Chapter 22 On Hostile Ground Harry would never profess to be an expert on the workings of the criminal mind, but in his limited experience of dealing with these people it appeared that they preferred a colder climate. Each of his targets thus far had hidden themselves in such countries, and as he rammed his hands into his coat pocket, he promised himself that his next venture would be somewhere warmer. Prague was just as cold as Minsk had been, and the weeks spent here had borne little fruit from his efforts. Upon his arrival in the Czechoslovakian capital, he had opted to remain within the Mughal population, and though the mood amongst the people here was somber, there was no sign that Grindelwald had attempted to impose himself on the country at large. Seemingly he was content with focusing his attention on the magical folk for the time being. Having established this, Harry too turned his attention towards the magical community, and that was where he encountered his first problem. London had Diagon Alley, accessible only from the Mughal world via the Leaky Cauldron, and he quickly found out that making his way into the magical streets here was just as tricky. Only by a stroke of fortune did he figure out that to gain entry, he needed to do so through the sewer system. It was an ingenious, if unpleasant, means of flitting between the two worlds, and it wasn't until he spotted a group of oddly-dressed people doing just this near the city where he had been watching the changing of the guard. Having followed suit, however, a part of him wished he had never found it. If the mood of the Muggles was somber, that of the witches and wizards was one of fear. The streets themselves were empty enough, and those that had ventured out did so with their eyes on the ground, doing their utmost to ignore whom Harry deduced to be Aurors in their white robes, these were not friendly men and women. At every chance they would harass the members of the public, goading them, and demanding they proclaim their loyalty to the new establishment. Those that had a sense of self-preservation did so without hesitation, and those that were too prideful were forced. Harry had to prevent himself intervening when he witnessed a trio of these so-called aurors kick an old man to the ground until he was unmoving. Only then did they drag him away with the leader shouting obscenities and spitting on the unconscious man. Harry vowed that he would kill this one before he took his leave of the country and had crept closely under his cloak to a better look at him. He was a large blonde, his blue eyes full of loathing and lip curled into a sneer. Harry would not forget his face and would not forget what he had seen occur under his direction. Once more, to avoid being detected, questioned, and undoubtedly giving himself away, he had opted to remain within the confines of his cloak, and the longer he spent here, the fewer people he saw. Evidently, word had gotten out what had happened to the old man and though the fury of his fellow countrymen was silent, it could be felt in the air. Still, Harry had a job to do, and though he didn't know what more he could contribute beyond watching those garbed in white robes, he was certain he would not be spending the rest of his time here doing only that. For the past couple of days he had been tailing the blonde, and on more than one occasion had seen him slip into an unassuming building in the Mughal world. At first he had thought that this might be his home, and had remembered the name of the streets to return to it when he was ready to deliver on the promise he'd made to himself, but the building was much more than he first believed it to be. This was the Czechoslovakian country, and within it, the newly installed government. He learned this through a business card that had been dropped by a woman exiting the building, and the overwhelming feeling of magical protections as he'd edged closer to retrieve it. No house would be protected in such a way and remain visible for all to see, not even the blacks had been so cocksure of themselves to do that. No, it had to be the ministry. That was the only explanation that made sense. Not knowing what was inside, he opted to bide his time, to watch the building, 
and only enter if little else could be gleaned from his observations. Even with a cloak, he was cautious of this place. It may have been that he knew the country in which he found himself was a hostile one, but he felt that it was more than that. For all he knew, this was the most dangerous place that any could find themselves, and though he wished to gather as much information as possible, he was not willing to possibly risk his life to do so, not unless it became necessary. Arcturus had been waiting weeks for his father to return to chastise him for what he had done, not only to Selwyn in the wizard gamut, but for assuming the position of head of the family in his absence. Nothing of the like had happened. The man had not even sent a letter since he had taken to the continent over the summer, nor was there any sign that he would honor them with his presence. Seemingly, Orion Black had washed his hands of Arcturus, Dorea, and even his duty to the family. That suited Arcturus well enough. Even without the guidance of his father, Arcturus had managed to continue growing the family finances to ensure that all payments needed had continued and that Dorea was well, something he had been doing since they were children. He didn't need Orion, however, the man should have had the decency to put his youngest daughter first instead of gallivanting across Europe with Grindelwald. Arcturus would never forgive him for that above all else he had done throughout the teen's life. He shook his head at the thoughts that had been plaguing him in favor of focusing on the chief warlock, as he called the meeting of the Wizengamot to order. The man, a Yaxley in his advanced years, banged his gavel atop the podium before addressing the room with his croaky voice. On this day, the 4th of November, 1937, we gather to discuss what is becoming a pressing matter. As the one who called this meeting, I will speak first, and implore that you hear my words. May I ask what this is about? Minister Fawley asked curiously. Yes, Minister, you may. Yaxley responded. It pertains to the gathering of the ICW just last week. I attended in my capacity as our representative, where some rather grave and frankly disturbing things were revealed. Farley nodded, and Arcturus frowned as he leaned forward in his chair to listen to Yaxley. Then continue, Chief Warlock, the minister instructed. Yaxley offered his superior a respectful bow. The meeting was a short one, but it was explained to us that both Bulgaria— and more recently, Czechoslovakia, have undergone sudden changes in government structure, resulting in both having seemed to withdraw themselves from the International Confederation of Warlocks. That isn't exactly an entirely unique occurrence, Lord Selwyn cut in. Russia comes and goes, as do other countries for that matter. They do, Yaxa conceded, but it is strongly believed that these countries have been inverted and subjugated by Gellert Grindelwald. Arcturus's jaw tightened as the rest of the wizard gamut broke out in discussion, some lords and ladies talking to their peers and others attempting to address Yaxley. It took several attempts for the man to silence them, his gavel crashing on his podium until they complied with his wishes. "'And what is the proof of this?' Selwyn demanded hotly. "'You have come here today in an attempt to instill fear within us for something happening beyond our borders.' "'Something that could easily spill into our own,' Lord Potter interjected grimly. Are you forgetting the war that was fought only a few decades ago? Are you forgetting that proof is needed? Selwyn sneered. Proof is being gathered as we speak, Yaxley interjected. The ICW has dispatched agents to confirm the events surrounding these changes. The Polish representative is certain that Grindelwald is behind this. What agents would the ICW send? Arcturus's eyes widened as he took in the sight of Charles Potter standing in the public gallery, his expression one of concern. The Potter heir was evidently here as part of his training to take over from his father when the man was ready to retire. 
He actually frowned at the young man. It was considered rude for an heir, let alone one sitting in the public gallery to interject themselves into the affairs of the Wizengamot. Although my son speaks out of ten, I too am curious to know, William Potter declared, shooting Charles a look of disapproval for his outburst. Well, I can only imagine that they dispatched a team of heat wizards for something like that, Yaxley replied thoughtfully, scratching his chin. The head of the Department of Justice was instructed to investigate the matter, so it makes sense that they would. When did this happen? Charles demanded. William did not even shine his son. He too looked on worriedly, as though he knew something the rest of them didn't. The meeting was held last Thursday, and Mr. Fedorov assured the representatives that he would begin the work immediately. Charles nodded, looking towards his father with an expression that seemed to confirm what the two of them seemingly suspected. I'm sorry for interrupting, the Potterier offered, taking his seat once more. Arcturus could not help but wonder what that interaction had been about, but he did not have time to dwell on it as he actually spoke once more. I will, of course, keep you abreast of the situation in Europe. But I do believe that we would be remiss in our duty here if we did not begin preparing for fallout across the continent. Unless we know what is happening, we should be restrictive in allowing travel to the countries of Bulgaria and Czechoslovakia at the very least. With tensions rising with the Muggles also, what we face in the near future could be catastrophic. A grim mood settled over those gathered within the chambers, and though Selwyn appeared to be more irritated than worried, the rest were undeniably troubled. How catastrophic? Minister Farley asked. Yaxley released a labored breath and shook his head. The world is a frighteningly different place than it was three decades ago, he murmured. If such a conflict was to break out amongst ourselves and the Muggles, I suspect it would be the worst war the world would have ever seen. Farley deflated, his posture becoming hunched as though the weight of the words Yaxley spoke were placed entirely upon his shoulders. The latest hope that the Polish representative of the ICW has been misinformed, he muttered. I have taken what you have said on board, Chief Warlock, and under your advisement, I agree that we should be cautious. Should it become necessary to do so, I will meet with the Muggle Prime Minister to discuss this in the hope that such a conflict can be avoided. He actually nodded, offering a final bow before he crashed his gavel against his podium once more, bringing the meeting to an end. Arcturus took his leave of the room not wanting to exchange small talk with those that would attempt to accost him. His own father, brother, and older sister were in some way responsible for what was happening on the continent, and such thoughts did not sit right with him. If Bulgaria and Czechoslovakia had already fallen to Grindelwald, other countries would follow. If Minister Folly's approach was the same that other ministers would take, then war would only break out across magical Europe if it became a necessity— likely when it would be too late to deal with Grindelwald before he became too strong not to cause utter devastation. The truth was, many families across the globe had been torn apart by the First War, the casualties numerous. Husbands, fathers, and sons left their homes to fight an enemy they knew not, and many never returned. All would be reluctant to find themselves embroiled in conflict again, not when the losses felt in the last war were still felt so deeply. It was a nervous Minerva that found herself standing at the front of the very classroom that she had not so long ago been taught in, preparing herself for her own first teaching experience. She had been taken aback when Albus had informed her that she would be doing so, and though it was only a first-year class, it didn't make her any less apprehensive. What if she messed it up? What if she found out that her dream job was not something she was cut out for? Both were among the many questions she had asked Albus, and the man merely chuckled in response. If I did not believe you were ready— then I would not have even suggested it. 
They were the only words he had spoken to her on the matter before sending her on her way to prepare for the lesson. Wooden books to a metal one, she murmured to herself. It was little more than a matchstick to a needle, just on a bigger scale. If the students had mastered that, there was no reason they should struggle with this. Where's Professor Dumbledore? a voice asked. And Minerva immediately recognized Tom Riddle, his expression one of curiosity. Professor Dumbledore has a pressing matter to attend to away from the castle today, so he will be teaching you. Tom offered her a winning smile as he nodded approvingly. I'm looking forward to it, he replied sincerely, evidently relieved that Albus was absent. Minerva, however, did not take the relaxed demeanor of the boy at face value. She had seen his true nature the night he had tried to attack her when she had been a cat. Tom Riddle was a senselessly cruel boy, and she would not fall for his charming persona, not when something quite unhinged lurked beneath the surface. Besides, she knew what he would become, and she tore her eyes away from him as the rat of the Slytherin and Hufflepuff students filed in, if only to have no need of looking in the eyes of the one that had murdered Harry's parents. Thoughts of her friend only brought other worries to the forefront of her mind. She missed him terribly now, more so than she had before seeing him so briefly the previous week. She respected what he did, even admired him for it, but she could not help but think that she had been all but forgotten about whilst Harry pursued whatever it was he was looking for. She felt selfish for thinking this way, but she couldn't help it. Okay, as you can see, Professor Dumbledore is not here today, and I will be taking the class. For those of you that don't remember, I am Assistant Professor McGonagall. To make it easier for you all, you might just call me Miss McGonagall. Is Professor Dumbledore all right? Tom asked, his tone laced with false concern. He is fine, Mr. Riddle, Minerva assured him, and will be back tomorrow. A flash of irritation crossed the features of the boy, one that most would have missed if they had not been watching him so closely. I'm pleased to hear it, the boy returned, his smile back in place. Minerva nodded before once more shifting her gaze from him. Today we will be continuing the work you have been doing with Professor Dumbledore. In front of you all is a wooden box. Your task is to simply turn it into a metal one, using the same method you would to turn a matchstick into a needle. If you do need any assistance, raise your hand and I will come to you. Any questions? When none were forthcoming, Minerva gestured for them to begin, and she watched carefully to ensure that there was no dangerous behavior taking place. Transfiguration truly was hazardous, and more so for those inexperienced in the branch. Accidents happened occasionally, but it was immature behavior that resulted in them more often than the former, and eleven-year-olds certainly lacked that. Memories of Tiberius transfiguring his own foot into a hoof during their first year came to mind, and Minerva fought the urge to grin. "'Miss McGonagall!' a voice called. It belonged to a diminutive Hufflepuff girl. Her arms stretched so high that she was almost standing from the effort to get Minerva's attention. "'Yes, Miss Carruthers. Could you check that I'm doing this right, please?' Minerva nodded and made her way to the girl who was doing an admirable job with her work. "'Very good,' she praised. "'Take five points for Hufflepuff.' The girl positively beamed and continued with her efforts, and Minerva returns to the front of the room where she could observe the class. Much to her relief, the rest of the lesson passed without the need for her to intervene or incident that would see one of the children needing to visit the hospital wing, and when the time came, she dismissed them. "'There will be no homework today!' "'But I suspect Professor Dumbledore will be setting it tomorrow,' she called as the students all but sprinted away from the room, eager to get to the great hall for lunch. Minerva, too, was famished and was going to follow suit, but found the doorway blocked by a pale Charles. "'What is it? What's wrong?' she asked. "'Harry,' Charles answered simply. 
Minerva felt her heart sink. Is he? Charles shook his head. No, I don't think so, but I know why he was called away so suddenly. He's gone to the continent to spy on what Grindelwald is doing. He's doing what? Minerva gasped, relieved that nothing bad had happened to him, but now fearful that it would. That's all I know, Charles sighed. I'm worried, Minnie. I know he can handle himself, but even my father did not take the news well. He's been hearing troubling rumors from Europe for months now. So, what do we do? What can we do? Charles huffed. This is Harry we're talking about. I know, Minerva replied sadly, unable to offer the man any comfort. Although she didn't know exactly what Harry was doing or why, she took some comfort in knowing that he at the very least had an idea of what he was getting himself into. Charles had no such comfort. He'll be fine, she offered. As you said yourself, this is Harry we're talking. Charles chuckled humorlessly, though he cracked a smile at the very least. Still, it didn't stop her worrying about Harry, even more so than she had been before the lesson she'd just taught. The people of Czechoslovakia were a stubborn bunch that did not adapt to change well. Gillett could respect them for their pride, but their inability to accept him as their new leader was becoming irksome. Already unpleasantness had ensued in the capital, with small pockets of resistance having to be quelled by his supporters, but much to his relief, it appeared that there was very little resistance left to face. "'We need to win the people over,' Perseus broke into his thoughts. "'I've spent a long time here, and we may cross their spirit, but we will not earn their loyalty. You said yourself that is what we need.' Gellert nodded thoughtfully. "'And what would you suggest?' You'll know these people better than I. So what would you do? Show them that you are worth following, Perseus answered. We already know the muggles will invade soon, and then it won't matter. For now, make a gesture. Show them that you have their best interests at heart. It is easier than trying to break people that will sooner die than fall into line. You may be onto something, Gellert replied. But what do they need, Perseus? Stability would be a good start. Set up some rallies, but have the natives that follow you lead them. When the people realize that you are trying to set them free from the shackles they were born wearing, they will come to you. Gillette was not convinced, but it was worth a try. Anything to move his plans forward for the greater good. Then arrange it, he decided. Let them see that I am not the enemy that they should fear, but the leader they should look to when they need it. I will arrange it right away, Perseus declared taking his leave from the room. "'Your son has a very keen mind,' thought the Black. "'He does,' Orion agreed. "'He was raised at my side to lead my family. "'But he will not do so.' Orion shook his head. "'No. "'That responsibility has now fallen to my youngest son. "'Perseus will be much more use by your side.' Gellert nodded his agreement, though a frown creased his brow. Your other son. Arcturus. What is he like? He's a stubborn sod, with a streak of ruthlessness a mile wide. I pity any that make an enemy of him. He's as cunning as they come, but he prefers a blunt approach to dealing with his problems. If Perseus is the unseen dagger that is shoved into the back of our enemies, Arcturus is a hammer. Gellert chuckled, nodding appreciatively. When the time is right, I would like to meet him. Orion appeared to be concerned by that. Arcturus lacks subtlety in social situations, Gellert, he sighed. 
He may not see your vision the way you wish for him to. Then we must continue sharing victories, Grindelwald replied simply. I do not believe you would raise a fool who would rather die on his shield than preserve the legacy of your family. No, I did not. Orion did not seem certain, but Gellert did not press the issue. If young Arcturus proved to be so foolish, he could be replaced. Perhaps Cassiopeia would be better suited to running the family. She was more than capable of doing so whilst continuing to serve him. Thoughts of the woman reminded him that he should be receiving a report from her soon. For more than a year she had been in Germany, keeping a close eye on the muggles there. The situation was escalating rapidly, and war would soon follow. Already the Germans had broken the feeble agreement they had made after the previous war, and conflict would soon become inevitable. Were it not for the need of the chaos to cement his own power, Gellert would perhaps be inclined to intervene. For now, however, he was content for things to proceed as they had been. If nothing else, such a war that was on the horizon would serve to prove that he had been right all along, and that the Muggles needed to be controlled for the betterment of the world, for the greater good. He was pulled from his musings by a knock at the door. "'Come in,' he called. He was surprised to see the unassuming Westphalian enter, a man he had made the acquaintance of shortly after he'd arrived in Germany almost a decade ago. Gillard had been careful in his movements, had even worn a disguise, and had told no one of his intentions. Yet this odd wizard had found him within only a few days after he'd arrived in Munich. An impressive feat indeed. As such, Gellert had employed the man to be his eyes and ears on the continent, a move that had proven to be exceedingly beneficial. Weber had established an impressive network of men and women that fed him information. Whether they were willing or not was neither here nor there. He had become an invaluable asset, that being the sole reason Gellert had not killed him. Such a man could be quite the threat to his plans, and Weber was a risk. Should he choose to, he could make things very difficult for the regime. Grindelwald, the man greeted him curtly, his expression stoic. I did not realize we had a meeting scheduled, Gellert replied. We do not, but there are things you should be made aware of. I thought it best that I come to you myself to share them. Then share, Weber, Gellert urged. The man nodded appreciatively, not one for small talk or standing on ceremony. The ICW has dispatched teams of hit wizards here, and in Bulgaria, to get a grasp of what is happening. Your actions have not gone unnoticed. I expected it, Gilbert replied dismissively. I am surprised it took them this long. Do you have any idea what their task is? To merely observe your operation and learn what has happened? Then ensure that the right information is made available to them. I would not want them to return to their superiors with a false understanding of what has transpired. Very well, Weber returned. And just one other thing. Knut Scamander is also on his way here. He arrived in Ostrava via Poland some days ago, and will reach Prague shortly. Gellert's jaw clenched in irritation. Scamander had already proven to be a thorn in his side on more than one occasion. I want him followed and killed, he declared. He's a damned fool, but one I will not risk interfering in our affairs again. It will be done, Weber assured him. What of the hit wizards? Gillert leaned back in his chair. You should kill most of them, Orion interjected. Allow enough to return to pass on the information you want them to know, but send your own message. They will not tolerate interference. Gillert laughed heartily. 
He had heard of the ruthlessness of the blacks and found that in this instance Orion's idea was not a bad one for a man that was suffering from a rather severe ailment. Often Gilert would hear him muttering to himself confusedly the moment he lost his grasp on reality. For the most part, however, Orion was lucid and an interesting man to have around. "'Do it,' he instructed. "'It will stop them interfering for a while, at least.' Vampir offered a simple nod and took his leave of the room to carry out his instructions. In the long run this would cause some problems, but it would buy Gellert enough time to take hold of more countries and consolidate his power. When that happened, it didn't matter what the ICW would do, or anyone else for that matter. It would be much too late to stop him. Prague was not unfamiliar to him. When he had been expelled from Hogwarts, he had taken it upon himself to travel for a while, and his adventures had brought him to the city. He had come to visit the impressive mermaid colony that resided within the magical zoo, and the trip had taught him many things about the mysterious creatures. His grasp on mermish had been quite poor at the time, but that hadn't mattered. The chieftain, a merman named Malachi, had welcomed him, as Newt had spent weeks living with the tribe where his ability in the tongue came on in leaps and bounds. He would have remained with them longer if he could have, but he had been discovered by the zookeeper, who had been rather angry at his intrusion. Still, it had been worthwhile, and even as he fled the guards who tried to apprehend him, he hadn't regretted his time as a water-dweller. He had always intended to return to Prague, just not under the circumstances he found himself visiting for now. Grindelwald was a problem he thought he'd left behind over a decade ago, but it seemed the past had a way of catching up on him, in this case in the form of Albus Dumbledore. The man knew how to get what he wanted, and it would give him that. Just a single mention of Lita was all it had taken for his resolve to crumble, for him to find himself once more putting himself in danger and in the path of Gellert Grindelwald. The man was a danger that needed to be stopped, and the Newt could not comprehend why Albus still rested on his laurels. If there was one that could put an end to Gellert, it was the Transfiguration Professor. Newt released a deep breath as the conductor announced their imminent arrival into the capital, and he picked up his suitcase that had been resting between his legs. Checking that it was firmly shut, he disembarked from the station— in the chill of the November afternoon, it was cold. Even though the sun was shining, it brought little warmth with it. Giving a cursory glance around the station, he left the platform and took to the streets. Fortunately, his way into the magical district of Prague was only a short distance away, and already the place felt differently than he remembered. Although reserved for the most part, the Czechoslovakians had been much warmer during his last visit. Now they were guarded, an unmissable tension permeating the air. The continent as a whole was on tenterhooks, and it was no different here. Unavoidable dark times were coming, and it seemed that the Czechoslovakians were anticipating their arrival at any given moment. The mood only worsened once he passed through the sewer system. The bustling streets were all but empty save for a few members of the public, and more than a dozen aurors lining the row of shops. Ahead in the distance, he could hear a loud but muffled voice, and he was distinctly aware of the eyes of the aurors following him as he passed them by to check it out. Too little too late did he realize that something was wrong. As he reached the gathered crowd, he found himself amongst more aurors than citizens, and the man giving a rousing speech to them met his gaze. He looked away immediately, but Newton knew he'd been recognized. He did not know this man, but evidently the man knew exactly who he was. Carefully, but as quickly as he could, he left the crowd, only to be followed by several of the aurors and even a few men dressed in regular clothing— when the first spell was sent his way, he darted into a nearby alley to apparate away, but found he couldn't. Anti-apparition wards had been erected, and Newt realized he had been trapped. 
Drawing his wand, he cursed his luck as he waited for the man to catch up with him. They did only a moment later, their wands trained on him. Newt could only regret that he had been caught in such a way. But as he prepared to defend himself from the impending assault, one of the men in front of him fell to the ground with a blood-curdling scream. It's Gotova! A voice shouted. And Newt didn't think it was Czech. And in a matter of seconds, all hell broke loose on the streets in front of him as another group of witches and wizards emerged, seemingly from nowhere, and engaged those that had pursued him. Once more, Harry found himself on the magical streets of Prague, having followed a large party that had left the ministry building here, including the blonde he was watching. Thus far, he hadn't seen a thing. The Aurors usually came and went in pairs, and the workers, if they were allowed to leave at all, via a different method that he had yet to discover. Upon seeing the group converge in the street and begin rounding up the few citizens they could find, he was filled with a sense of dread. At first he believed they were going to be executed, and breathed a sigh of relief as the stage erected had a podium placed upon it where a man began addressing them in their native tongue. Harry understood very little of what was being said, though Grindelwald's name was mentioned several times, and he did not believe they were speaking out against him. No, this was a speech endorsing the man. Although he could not understand what was being said, he looked on with interest, his attention soon caught by the arrival of a man that stood out above the rest. This wasn't Grindelwald, but he wasn't a Czechoslovakian either, and it was quickly evident that he was not welcome here in the eyes of the Aurors who shifted to approach him. He fled as the first spell was sent his way, and just as Harry was debating whether or not he should intervene, the decision was made for him. It's Gotova! Fucking idiot, he grumbled. The voice belonged to a member of a team of hit wizards that had been present in the chamber he'd been summoned to before being deployed here. Whatever the fool was thinking, Harry knew not, but his colleagues equated to only eight people who now found themselves facing off with a dozen at least. Imam Kotova, he recognized immediately as being one of the thirteen people in the file given to him at the briefing. He was wanted for the murder of four government officials in Belarus, but it appeared that he wasn't alone. Another man on the list, Salvatore Caputo, was with him. He was suspected of running an illegal potions operation out of Sicily, but vanished before he could be arrested. It was believed that many people had died because of the bad bruise he had produced, and others had become highly dependent on addictive substances because of him. He had once been a decorated potioneer, but it turns to a life of crime. The first few to fall in the melee were dressed in the white robes of the Aurors, and for a moment Harry thought that he would be able to maintain his cover. It was not to be. Soon, the hit wizards were converged upon, and all but trapped in a corner where they were forced to defend themselves. Wolds, Harry sighed looking for a place where he could seize an advantage of sorts. Passing the alley, he saw that the man that had instigated the ensuing melee was still cornered in there. He couldn't leave or he would be caught in the crossfire, or he would be spotted by those that seemingly wanted him dead. Already Harry was interested in him for that reason alone. What had he done to provoke such a reaction to his arrival? It didn't matter. If Harry didn't help him, his chances of escaping were slim at best, and becoming less likely the more time that passed. The hit wizards were trained for these situations— and though their own position was bleak, they would need to hold fast. "'What the hell did you do?' Harry demanded, revealing himself to the pale man whose eyes bulged in panic. "'I just came to see what was happening.' Harry was taken aback by the reply. He was British. "'Well, they turned on you quickly. Why?' "'I think they've been told about me.' Harry shook his head irritably. This man had risked everything he had been working towards, as had the idiot amongst the hit wizards that had announced their presence." "'It doesn't matter now. Get in here and keep yourself hidden,' he commanded. "'Why? What are you going to do?' "'I'm going to try to stop you and the rest of the idiots out there from getting killed. Between you, you've already fucked everything up. Stay where you are. I want my cloak back.' The man tried to protest his innocence, 
but Harry ignored him in favor of turning his attention to what was happening outside the alley. In the minute or so he had been speaking to his fellow countrymen, the situation had become bleaker for the hit wizards. Already outnumbered, two of them were now on the ground unmoving, and though several of those in white robes had fallen also, they still held the numbers advantage. By now around fifteen remained on their feet, and more would arrive soon. He needed to act quickly before escape became impossible. Taking in the devastation around him, Harry took advantage of the debris by whipping up the brickwork that had been torn away from nearby buildings with a gust of wind and launching it towards the unsuspecting attackers. The sounds of thudding, a few cracking bones, and screaming filled the air as the stone collided with some, though it was not as accurate as Harry had hoped. As such, a few of the Allroars turned to him, immediately continuing their attack. He bobbed and weaved through the spells, returning fire with his own, transfiguring a fallen sign from a shop into a spear and launching it at one of the men who collapsed to the ground, his scream tearing through the sounds of the surrounding battle. The projectile had pierced him through the shoulder, and Terry grimaced, remembering the pain of his own wound. Still, he did not have time for sympathy for a man that had tried to kill him. The Auro's comrades took exception to what he'd done and doubled their efforts to bring him down. Spell after spell was sent his way, but it was done so without the benefit of teamwork, any sign of that now absent as they fought with anger. It didn't take long for Harry to nullify the two. With a wave of his wand, the fallen lamppost collided with their backs, rendering both men unconscious from the force they were hit with. Bastardo! The slur came from Capuzzo, who had witnessed what had happened, though he made no move to engage Harry. Evidently he was not as gifted with his wand as he was with the cauldron, but he was still an enemy. The squat man tried to hide himself amongst his peers who were occupied with the other hit wizards, who had lost another of their group. Against the odds they were fighting on, the remaining five back to back as they fought off spells coming at them from all angles. They were tiring, their own efforts coming much slower now, and Terry knew he needed to do something drastic to get them all out of there. You! he called to the man still hiding in the alley. Get yourself to the exit, but don't go in. There could be more auras waiting in there. The man revealed his head and nodded before vanishing within the confines of the cloak once more. Giving him a few seconds to put some distance between himself and the fighting, Harry turned back towards the Auroras and two wanted criminals. The hit wizards were down to only four now. Thinking back to the duel he had witnessed between Dumbledore and Voldemort, an idea struck him. It was a risky one, but the best he could come up with in the heat of the moment. First, he wanted to be closer to the burst water pipe that was slowly flooding the street, and for that he needed to get nearer the hit wizards. With a sigh, he braced himself before propelling himself into the air, his body being surrounded by a thick black smoke the same way it had the Death Eaters in the Ministry. It had taken months of work for Harry to figure out how they moved around this way, but he had managed late in his sixth year, once more the magic that Tom had used feeling familiar to him helping him achieve it. The method of travel proved to be effective in watered areas, but for little else. Apparition would always be faster. Still, it proved to be useful now and even served to distract the Aurors below who were drawn to him flying without the need of a broom. It seemed they had never seen anyone do anything of the sort, and were shocked by the feat, as were the hit wizards who eyed him curiously as he landed in front of them. Waiting no time, he put his plan into motion, sweeping up the large pool of water that had formed from the pipe and coalescing it around the group of wizards, trapping them in an enormous orb of water. "'Don't just bloody stand there! Run!' he urged. The other hit wizards did not need telling twice— and whilst Terry fought to keep their foes contained, they gave a final look to their fallen comrades and took to their heels. Harry held the Aurors and two wanted felons for as long as he could, but it was not easy to do so. Only a moment later the orb collapsed, sending his captives sprawling and gasping for breath. Not wanting to be where he was when they righted themselves, he too fled, 
taking to the air once more to catch up with the hit wizards. When he located them, they had not made it very far, exhausted from their efforts, and having had to navigate his way through the debris of battle. Come on, move, he urged as he landed next to them, batting away a spell that had been sent from behind. One of the aurors had caught them quickly. Tadisho! Another spell headed towards them. Recognizing what it was, Harry hissed loudly, the spell ricocheting off the serpent's adorned shield as it appeared on his arm and setting fire to the building next to them. Mierda! One of the hit wizards gasped, the emerald fire hot enough to melt the stone that it clung to. It was a dangerous spell to throw around so negligently, and it would burn for hours if it was not put out. The fire was spreading quickly, but that did not deter the aurors from continuing with their attack, even with the smoke now clouding their vision. Seizing an opportunity, Harry caught sight of Caputo amongst them, and took aim before hissing once more. His aim had been true, but he was not able to witness the results of his magic. With a groan, the building collapsed between the group of hit wizards and the aurors pursuing them, putting an end to the fighting. Come on, keep moving, Harry commanded. The other hit wizards followed him toward the exit, and it was as he neared that he felt a tugging on his arm. Stay in there until I see otherwise, he muttered, opening the exit and giving a cursory glance to ensure that there were no others waiting for him. There weren't, and seeing that it was safe, he pushed the others out ahead of him before crossing into the Muggle world, his temper flaring as he caught sight of the hit wizard that had engaged the Aurors. You stupid bastard, he spat, ramming his fist into the man's nose. What the bloody hell were you thinking? A loud crunch filled the air, and the man collapsed to the ground with a yelp. Calm, brother, a dark-skinned hit wizard urged. Garcia's a fool, and will pay dearly for his error. He cost many lives today. It would have been worse if you were not there, another interjected. Thank you. Harry waved them off, releasing a calming breath. Your serpent, yes? The dark-skinned man asked. Harry nodded. I can see where you got your name. It's a rare gift you have. I will be reporting this, Harry assured him. As will I, the man replied. That I promise. For now, I believe we should leave. Harry snorted and shook his head. You not should. I have some unfinished business here. Unfinished business? You do not intend to fight them all. Of course not, Harry huffed. But there's something else I have to do. You go ahead and make sure you tell them everything. I'll leave soon. The man nodded, gesturing for the rest of his team to follow. Until we meet again, Serpent. I bloody well hope not. The man offered him a grin before leading away what remained of his team, and Harry waited for them to go before heading behind a row of shops nearby. You can come out now. The man that had been the catalyst for the violence appeared, and Harry relieved him of his cloak. Placing it back within his robes, he took in the appearance of the instigator. Who are you, and what the hell were you doing here? He questioned. The man offered him an awkward but relieved smile. My name is Newt Scamander, and I was asked to come here by Abbas Dumbledore. Do you know him? Harry could only groan in response, his irritation only growing at the mention of the deputy headmaster. Gellert looked on curiously as Caputo suddenly stiffened, his wand clattering to the ground as he reached for his throat. For a moment, it appeared as though he would vomit, but instead of the contents of his stomach spewing forth, a serpent slithered out of his mouth. When it was free, the Sicilian dropped lifeless to the ground, and the snake bit two others before it was killed. That was where the memory ended, and Gellert found himself in his office once more. "'What an interesting young man,' he commented. "'Interesting?' Contova asked incredulously. "'You saw what he did?' Gellert nodded, a frown creasing his brow. "'He is curious,' 
he mused aloud. I've only met one who would cast such a spell as he did with the water. Quite an ingenious application of magic, if I do say so myself. What is more curious is the parcel tongue. Parcel tongue? Orion asked. There's only one family I know that uses that. And who would that be, Lord Black? The Gaunts, Orion answered. But if he's as young as you say, he can't be one of them. Marvolo is dead, and his son is off his rocker. Then there must be another connection, Gellert returned thoughtfully. Weber, I want him found. I want any and all information you can gather on this man. You too, Black. I want you to see if there is any possibility that he is a wayward gaunt. I already told you he isn't, Orion grumbled. But I'll make some inquiries. I'll have Arcturus look into it. Good. And what would you have done with him? Weber asked. Nothing for now, Gellert replied. The man has piqued my curiosity. It has been many years since any have done that. End of chapter 22 For this and other stories by the same author, visit leemacusker.com, as well as the fanfiction.net page of The Black's Resurgence. Music by Dr. James Benigoff and Sam Gabriel. If you would like to commission me to record a story, voiceover, or character, please get in touch using the contact information on my website, which is located at samgabrielvo.com. And there you can find other stories that I've read, as well as links to my Patreon page, to which I hope you consider subscribing to support me, and my Discord server, where I record things live for your enjoyment. And finally, as always, thank you for listening.